Well, today is the final message in our money series. As we've been digging into 1 Timothy chapter 6 to find out what does God say about money? Because there's a lot of confusion both inside and outside of the church on this. So it shouldn't surprise us that God's word addresses it in more than one place. But we've been digging into 1 Timothy chapter 6 and there's already been some surprises along the way, right? We've already found out that the Bible does not teach that money is the root of all evil. In fact, it teaches us that it can do great good if you use it wisely, but it can never solve our biggest problem or satisfy any of our deepest needs. In fact, if you head down that path and try to use it to that end, it can begin to consume you and ultimately destroy you. Just recently, I read an article that was titled, get this, The Melancholy Billionaire. I know, you might not think those two words go together, but they often do. The article was about Marcus Perchon, the Swedish developer of the video game Minecraft, that a couple years ago sold his game to Microsoft for a measly $2.5 billion dollars. So he's like 31 years old and has, and, and yet before the ink was even dry on all that, he begins to send out tweets about how depressed and lonely he is. Despite the fact that he immediately did what most human beings would do with that kind of money, right? He went out and bought some of the best of all of what money can buy in our world, including a 23,000 square foot mansion in Beverly Hills that cost $70 million, outbidding Beyonce and Jay-Z. It's gotta be a good day. Anytime you outbid Beyonce and Jay-Z on something, gotta be a good day, right? So what is the problem? The problem, as we've been learning, from 1 Timothy chapter six is that that home and that stuff cannot satisfy or fill the vacuum in his soul. And so his lead tweet on a string of tweets about isolation and loneliness and depression said this, quote, the problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. Now get this, you'll love this as I dug in it. What do you mean by human interaction? He was actually rejected by a woman he wanted to date who said, no, you're too wealthy. I want someone more normal. Be encouraged, poor guys. <laughs> She's looking for you. There are women like that. You know, you tend to think if I had more money, I would attract more women. And to some degree that's true. There's some women looking for poor men. There's one Swedish woman somewhere. So let's turn back to our passage and read what God's word says about what money can and cannot do. First Timothy chapter six, beginning in verse six. First Timothy six, verse six. But godliness with contentment is mega gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we're going to carry nothing out. 
And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful lusts that plunge men into destruction and perdition. For the, say it, love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have even strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man or woman of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal Life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, which no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now last week we dug into just verses 17 to 19 where I showed you that Paul, I think, is pointing out some of the biggest financial blunders you can make in verse 17. Don't be haughty about what you have. Don't shift from trusting God to beginning to trust in what you have. It can happen. The human heart will go there. And Don't think it's wrong to enjoy some of it for yourself. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. Blunders. Verse 18, he points out some of the biggest financial blessings that you need to reach for. And we spent our entire time showing that these two phrases both have to be operative in your life if you're gonna get a hold of this. Ready to give, willing to share. Both. Some of you aren't ready to give because your household financially is a mess. Some of you, you're ready, you're not willing Your heart has to be right, and you gotta think about this. Get ready to give, ready to give, willing to share. Now today, I wanna show you in verse 19 where Paul points for the greatest financial security in verse 19. You see, everybody's looking for financial security, right? Where's a safe place to put my money? Where's a guaranteed place? Where's a secure place? Where's a low risk, high yield place for my money? And Paul points in a direction that very few people, even Christians, ever look. 
outside of this world. He points to you putting it in God's treasury. Look at verse 19 again. Storing up for themselves a good foundation. Now what, Paul, what is Paul doing right there? Paul is doing what he so often does in his letters to the churches. He's framing up his argument about whatever God calls us to do now against the bigger backdrop of what's coming next. Now, in light of what's coming next. Now, in light of what's coming next. Listen to me. One of the worst ways to live your Christian life and to have it all end very poorly is to never be seeing more than right here, right now. Because you will only live for right here, right now. Listen to me. The depth of your perception is what determines the decisions that you make with your money and everything else in this life. You cannot only be seeing right here, right now, right here, right now. So let me ask you, how do I get a more depth of perception? How do I get a bigger view? Because what I think Paul's doing in verse 19 before he ends this whole discussion of money, it's like he's screwing on a wide angle lens on the front of this camera as it looks at money and saying, oh, you gotta see more. Oh, you gotta see more. You gotta see more. The only way I can keep a depth of perception and a bigger view and frame up everything God's calling me to do against the bigger backdrop of what's coming next is to read God's word. CNN News doesn't do this for me. The Discovery Channel doesn't do this for me. I've got to constantly be taking in God's word that frames it up bigger, frames it up bigger, frames it up bigger. Everything in this world is like a magnet that sucks you down to right here, right now, right here, right now. You've got to be seeing more. If you want to get free from the money trap and stay free from the money trap, you have to stop seeing only what money can do in this life and start seeing what it can do in the next as well as what it reveals about your own heart and where you're truly headed. We're gonna dig into that before this hour is over. Folks, here's what's, here's what's interesting about money and here's why Jesus goes there so often. He goes there often. Like 70% of the parables have to do with money. There's a reason. It's not just that we traffic in it so much and we need help. We do. It's because of this heart connection with money. The Bible teaches the way you handle your money now says something about the inside of you and your soul and where you're headed next. There's some serious implications that we're gonna get into. That word right there in verse 19, storing up, it's the Greek word, root word, thesaurus. You ever heard of that before? You ever picked up a paperback, thesaurus? It's one of those books that can give you dozens of other words that are like that word. And it means the richest, it's a treasury of words. The word thesaurus means to treasure or store up something in a safe place for the future. I treasure this, I don't wanna store it in a safe place for the future. Verse 19, storing up for themselves a good foundation. See, here's what Paul is teaching and saying about money. When you give it away 
to the glory of God, you are putting it in a very safe place. God's treasury. God's treasury. A young couple in our church started to get a hold of this the last time I taught, which by the way was six years ago. So don't roll out of here saying all he ever does is talk about money. Shut up. It's been six years. There. Last time I thought about this, got a hold of it. Listen to what he emailed me. He said, I just want you to know that your last message on giving was a huge encouragement to me. My wife and I have been discussing it since Sunday. When we got married just three years ago, I was not only inconsistent with financially supporting our own church family, I was very undisciplined with money in general and did not use it with an eternal perspective. However, I am blessed to have married a wife who had already been tithing 10% as well as faithfully investing in missions since she was 14 years old. If you're here last week, does that ring any bells? Remember the the statistics I gave you? Of 4,500 people who give away 10% or more of the income, 63% of them started doing it between childhood and their 20s. Don't wait too late to start giving sacrificially. Your heart and your lifestyle will simply get entrenched. You won't let go of more later if you can't do it early. Form a habit early. Since she was 14, she'd been doing this, he said. So he goes on and says, I was very convicted by her faithfulness and the Holy Spirit. Good to make a distinction between wife and Holy Spirit. Remember, ladies, you're not the fourth person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and me. Without me, he'll never do right. Different sermon, but (laughs) worth noting. I was convicted by my wife and the Holy Spirit, and so now we not only give to Grace Fellowship family, but we support several missionaries each month as a couple. I loved this. As a couple, we dream about and discuss how we can save and budget to give away even more. How refreshing. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Couples dream about, and it's not wrong, getting out of a one-bedroom apartment and getting into their first little home. Not a sin. Dream about not still driving cars that go womp, 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 with plastic and duct tape on a window. Not wrong. Dream about taking better vacations. But folks, if we're believers who have a perspective that's bigger than right here, right now, we should dream about and how could we begin to give away more as we progress through life and our income increases? Oh God, how could we begin to give away? They dream about and talk about how to give away more. In our culture, he says, it is easy to get distracted by all the toys, but your sermon was just what I needed to refocus on investing our treasures for the kingdom. But now let me touch on something that maybe you have felt through this whole series, but you didn't have the chutzpah to stand and just say it. What about me, Brad? Sure, when I give money away, it benefits somebody else. Yay. But it costs me. I take the hit. That's money gone that I could have used to actually do something and get something I want or I need. Probably no one here would stand and say that. But you felt it rumbling around. All this big, grace, sacrificial giving stuff. I just take a hit. It just costs me. It's just, it's just a cost. Oh, here's how I would say it to you. Don't push your giving into the category of cost and personal loss. And here's why. 
You say, Brad, where are you getting that? Verse 19 is where I'm getting it. Because maybe you've missed it, even though I just read it to you for the fourth time. Maybe you've missed two little words that are tucked down in between, storing up for themselves and a good foundation. What are the two little words, if you've got the New King James inspired, oh, no, I'm just kidding. What are the two words? Storing up, does anybody in this entire room have it? For themselves. Storing up for themselves. Storing up for themselves. A good foundation for the time to come. See, everything you give away to the glory of God, everything you give away to the glory of God is applied to your eternal account in his treasury. It's not a loss, oh, it's not a cost, it's an investment, and get this, a very good one at that. A very good one at that, here's why. This is an investment, listen, God's treasury has never lost value. God's treasury has never been mismanaged, and God's treasury has never left its investors disappointed or holding the short end of the stick. Ever. And then listen to me. Friends can say, oh, here's, here's a deal. This is a deal. Oh, you can be investing in, in some place that had something to do with your company, something to do with, with a church network, and have someone mismanage it or have it tank. There's no guarantees in this life. This is a treasury that's never been mismanaged, that's never lost value, and has never left, left its investors disappointed. No one's ever stood before God. When you die, and you will, and you stand before God, and you will. No one has ever, once they get the real perspective on everything, said, I wish I had not given so much away. That was stupid. Here's what they wish. Five seconds after you die, you'll know exactly how you wished you had lived and handled your money. You'll have the perspective that by God's grace we should try to get a hold of now instead of later. Now, you will not be disappointed and you're not the loser. You're not the loser. Don't put all your giving in the category of cost and loss. It's great gain, great gain, great. But there's something else tucked into verse 19 that's very serious and sobering regarding our money. And it's this, don't ignore the serious implications about what your giving and my giving reveals about your soul and where it's actually headed next. That's why the end of verse 19 says that they may lay hold on eternal life. It's the Greek word epilambano. Lambano means to reach for and take hold of. Anytime they put epi in front of a verb, it's a prefix, it just meant intensify it, ramp it up, really lay hold of this, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And it's in the middle voice, I think that's interesting. The verb that they may lay hold of is in the middle voice, and what that means when, when a verb's in the middle voice, it signifies that the subject of the verb is being affected by its own actions. In other words, your giving is affecting your own soul as well as testifying to where you're really headed next. 
He makes a statement about your ultimate home, your ultimate destination. Your giving is doing something in you and saying something about you. It's doing something in you and it's saying something about you. Now don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying you, if you give money away, can earn yourself a place in heaven. Oh, no, 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 Bible doesn't teach that. But too often we're guilty of acting like, and money doesn't tell us anything. Oh, it doesn't teach that either. That's why Jesus goes there so often. It actually does teach, the the Bible does teach that releasing earthly treasure is a huge indication. Your willingness, unlike other people, You wanna be peculiar? Never mind the fish bumper sticker and your logo wear and your Christian music pulsing through your car. That's easy. What would make you look peculiar? I'll tell you. Releasing earthly treasure because you're born again, you've tasted grace, you have an eternal perspective so that you don't need to chase after, grasp, cling to. Don't hear me saying you don't need it. Don't hear me saying you don't want to spend any of it on yourself. Let me say something that maybe will make a lot of you feel good. We're about to redo the kitchen. Say praise God. He's going to spend money right now. Don't you feel better? It's not wrong to do that. But we're not going to do that by not giving for the next 18 months because we need a new kitchen. No. No. It's not wrong. But oh, when you begin to live, all I've challenged you to do, right, is no matter where you are on the economic ladder, live with a significant grace gap, gospel gap between how you could be living and how you do live so that you can be generous, a sacrificial, generous grace giver that declares, oh my goodness, The reason I can easily release earthly treasures and not just hold on to all of it is because I have an assurance of something greater, greater. And it frees me up to let go of so much of this right here in this world. Letting go of earthly treasure because I'm laying hold of something better. Money says a lot. It affects your own soul, your level of giving, and it says something about your final destination. That's why all through this passage and other places, Paul reminds us that there's more at stake than just, oh, other people need some of your money. What's at stake is this says something about your soul. You can say all day long, Jesus is Lord. Has that affected how you handle your money at all? It should. You can talk about amazing grace. Has it led to any amazing giving? It should. It indicates something about our soul. And so that's why he says, but will it be automatic? When you get saved, did you automatically just want to give away all your money? I didn't. I don't think you do. So your flesh still, as a believer, it's going to be a fight. Romans 7, Paul says, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I said I'm going to stop doing, I keep doing. (laughs) who's going to deliver me from this body of death but thanks be to God for his son Jesus Christ I'm going to have to fight you're going to have to lean into this that's why in verse 12 we saw it a few weeks ago he said fight the good fight of faith so let me give you some practical suggestions how you would fight the good fight of faith to stay out of the money trap number one stop guessing what you're giving and get the facts 
don't just guess. I, I think we're doing good. All through this series, maybe you think, I, th- I think we're okay. I feel pretty good. Don't guess. Would you guess whether you have long-term health care? I think there's a folder that has some of that. Would you guess whether you've done some of those important power of attorney things or whatever so that the government doesn't take 50% of it when you both die in a plane crash and your kids don't get it? Usually we want to make sure, have these things been done? Why would you not make sure? Are we really giving like we should? Don't guess. Like right now, I, I, I do want you to guess. We're going to start with a guess. I want you to get in your mind, what do you think you gave away this last year? Maybe you got an amount. Maybe you can do the math and come up with a percentage. What do you think? And if you're, and I don't mean to be mean, I just want to help you. And if you're just throwing a little bit of cash, a 10 or a 20 here or there along the way, just, that ain't nothing. So you can just think less than 1%, 0.3%. Just put sad over the top of that. I'm talking about, you should be able to, you should be giving on a level that you're not like, ah, I'm not sure I threw that. You remember it because it pinched you. It's like, yeah, we gave to that mission. We gave to help that orphanage. We gave to help that house payment. And I do believe it was 850. You remember it. But now here's, not, here's what I really want you to do. Not just guess. I want you to go home and crunch the numbers. Go home and crunch the numbers. Look at your checkbook. Look at your statements. Look at your, and here's the other thing. If you're really giving, you get these things in the mail from the church. Or, well, no, you don't. You gotta go to the website. But I'm, I'm, they're rolling in now for me from all the places we gave. You don't have to guess, you know. I can add them up and say, oh, okay. Don't just guess. Get the facts so that you'll know. Are we really giving like we should? Number two, don't just hope to give. Lock it in, lock it in. And by that I mean, we live in a great day of technology. You can set up your giving to be automatic, online. Use a credit card if you like. You can have it take another checking account if you're a, a no credit card person. But here's the deal for us, it's a win-win. I got my monthly church giving to our church family as well as other ministries all set up with my Delta Gold American Express so that the church family gets the money and we get the miles. It's a win. Why not? And then I can get free tickets to fly Vicky down to Georgia to see her dad who fell down and they're aging. No shame in that. Set it up automatic. There's benefits you might give, but here's the deal. Then you're giving every month Instead of trying to remember to write the check, when you're on vacation you didn't give, you had a month where you had to buy tires and you say, we'll just keep this. Here's, here's what it is, it's more than just so I don't forget. When you set up your giving to be automatic, right off the top, up front, you're making a big statement that I believe we want to make giving back to God, starting with our own church family, a top priority. And what you're doing is biblical because Proverbs chapter three, Proverbs chapter three says, give God the first fruits of your increase. First. Vicki and I have it set up to give to Young Life who goes into public high schools. We have it set up to give to Voice of the Martyrs for pastors and Christians who are being persecuted and need help. Their families need help because 
The head of the home is in prison. We have our giving set up automatically to give to ACBC counseling and to give to prodigal ministries that's trying to help people with same-sex attraction. We're getting in on what God is doing both in our church family and outside of our church family and it, it happens right up front every month. Boom. And then we live and I've budgeted to live on the rest. First, first. Number three, don't set it and forget it. So maybe even you've got it set up, but you're like, done. We decided to give that much, and there we go. You're looking at other areas of your budget, like, do we need to increase that? What's going on? Did our income increase? Has God laid something on our heart? Don't just set it and forget it. Plan to grow. Plan to grow. If you're giving nothing, start giving something. If you're giving something, but it's not 10%, get there. It may take you a few years, but sit down with a plan. How are we going to get to that level giving? What would we change? As I get pay increases or if you're giving 10%, this might surprise you. Don't think you don't need to think anymore. Don't treat it as the ceiling. Treat it as the floor that I want to still grow in my giving as our income increases or God lays things on our hearts. For the first 20 years of our marriage, I was a pastor that did not make a lot of money, have five kids, we faithfully tithed 10%. But in the last 10, 11 years, as my income has increased, I get book royalties now for the book, I get honorariums as I speak other, I have greater income. But here's the only reason, so now we're able to give away as much as 21% of my income some years, why? because we did not consume and devour on ourselves the increase. We kept a gospel gap, grace gap between how we could be living and how we are living so that we could step into greater opportunities. And here's what'll happen. You may be shocked over your lifetime, over a period of years, what God might use you to do. I sat down, with an, I sat down at the end of last year and just crunch the numbers. I didn't even try to go back all the way to Duff's smorgasbord at 16, cleaning dishes, and I was tithing. I just started with since I came here 22 years ago. In 1996, in 22 years, by God's grace, with five kids, braces, a fleet of little used cars that have to be insured, and kids headed to college, Vicky and I have been able to give 416000 dollars away the last 22 years now if you're sitting there thinking dude you could have done now remember what i said it's not our loss great gain we know right where it is right where it is and it's not just us i only say that out loud because oh there's so many people that have given that and greater because if you start giving away at least 10 percent or more of your income Oh, over the years, my friend, that adds up to a lot that is, get this, being stored up. Safe place, good foundation. And I've been able to get in on what God is doing inside. I don't give it all here. Oh, no, no, no. I start here, but I get in on all kinds of other ministry opportunities, as well as helping make a house payment or medical bills or meet a need that I know you don't get one of those letters for tax purposes, you do get great joy. This could be you, but you gotta get ready and you gotta be 
willing. And we're not the only ones living this way. Another email I got from a couple in our church said this, thank you for teaching what the Bible says about money and giving. We were exactly as you described a few years ago. I refer to us as Tupperware givers because we only gave what was left over, if anything. Then God got a hold of us and our hearts were changed. We decided to tithe 10% and had to do some pruning in our lives to do so. Yeah, if this hasn't been your habit, you won't just find this amount of money just sitting there saying, well, you'll have to do some pruning to get there. Had to do some pruning in our lives, but it was one of the best decisions we've ever made. God has blessed us beyond measure since our obedience to give back to him what was already his. To his glory, we have a desire to increase our giving every year. As we've done this, he's blessed us so much that we have increased our giving to Grace Family to 11% and we're able to sponsor three different Campus Crusade and Capernaum staff members on a monthly basis. Thank you for boldly proclaiming the truth in love regardless of what our culture and society is saying. And then let me give you one more that I find sadly sometimes Christians struggle with. Don't fail to give and take care of your own family first. And I'm not talking about your biological family. I don't know why, but I've been a pastor 31 years. Somehow there's a number of Christians that giving to their own church family is just not that exciting. I want it to go to a well in Zambia. I want it to help stop sex trafficking. Great, me too. I do those things after I give to our church family. Don't do that instead. And you say, well, it's just paying for this building. Ho, shut up. There's no building payment now. Huh, gotcha. None of your money's going to bricks and mortar if that bugs you. The church family, folks, is people. You say, who are these people? They're sitting all around you. They're not nameless, faceless. There's great needs. There's ministry opportunities. This is why we're able to do free biblical counseling with people who are struggling with self-harm and marriage issues and depression and drug addiction. And we can step right in and help them for free because of the giving to keep our church family. Here's the other thing it does. We're able to quickly respond to ministry opportunities. When there's a new thing and we think, oh, I wish we could do that. We're not that church that has to have a huge deacons meeting and, and beat it all out saying, oh, can we do it? Well, there was a young lady that started attending our Fort Thomas campus, deaf, and they noticed that her mom's trying to write all this down, not the best way to do this. We just hired an ASL deaf translator to come every Sunday. It costs money. Guess what happened? Additional deaf people have begun to attend. One of them said, I wanna go to the ladies' Bible study. We said, we didn't say, we can't afford that. Sunday only, sorry. We paid an ASL translator to go to the women's Bible study and to sit there and translate for this deaf woman to attend. We have money to lean into opportunities and to reach more people because you give to our church family. These are real people that you're helping. And, and, and here's the other thing. It doesn't all stay here. So when you give to your church family, oh, by the way, this year's budget, it's almost $800,000 that is going to missionaries and other ministries outside the walls of this church. 800,000. So you say, well, I just don't want all the money. It didn't. 800,000 of our budget is to get it outside these walls to other great ministries and people. Don't fail to take care of your own family first. But as we conclude the whole money series, I wanna make something absolutely clear. Don't make a mistake. Listen, 
Don't expect financial principles to do for you what only knowing and loving Jesus can do. Say, what do you mean, Brad? Oh, stay with me. Yes, we do Financial Peace University, right? FPU, help you understand how to do a budget, how to get out of debt, how to, how to, how to. Financial principles can't change your heart. You could just use those principles to be more savvy with your money and to have more for yourself and just feel not, well, I'm not stupid with my money now, but I'm still not ready to give or willing to share. Only Jesus can change your heart. Don't hear me saying don't get in that class if you need help. Do hear me saying don't expect it to do for you what it can't do for you. Only Jesus can change your heart. And that's why Paul does with the subject of money what he does with every other subject in the Bible whenever he begins to teach Christians what God's word says. He never instructs believers on any subject in isolation from the person and work of Jesus Christ because Paul knows something. Paul knows something about his own nature and the nature of human beings. He knows that the only heart-changing, life-altering motive that will keep you living and giving radically for a lifetime is knowing and loving Jesus, who he is and what he's done for you. Guilt, listen, a lot of churches try to get this done with guilt, not very helpful. Guilt will only get you so far. Financial principles can only do so much. Throwing statistics on the big screen that show you how much you have compared to the other world, rest of the world might get you to make a donation once, but it'll never keep you living this way for a lifetime. Jesus. When you're following in love with Jesus and you've never gotten over what he's done for you and you're living with, with a backdrop of what's bigger and what's coming next, that's the biggest motive. That's why Paul always frames up any subject that way. You think about it. Ephesians chapter five is our go-to passage on marriage. He doesn't say, husbands, love your wives. Do it, drop and give me 50. Just love her, I don't know, love her. Wives, submit to and respect your husbands. Just do it, ridiculous. These are radical commands. No male wants to sacrificially give away his life and lay down his life. No woman wants to submit to a man. You see all the faults. You see all the shortcomings. How in the world is this going to happen? This is radical. That's why the entire passage is woven with Jesus Christ who laid down his life, sacrificially loved us, gave himself for us, and submitted to the Father when he could have clung to his rights. Oh, it's only as you're knowing and loving Jesus that you can love each other like this and lay down your lives. He frames it up in the context of who Jesus is and what he's done. Colossians chapter three, where before he rattles off a laundry list of sins to put off and godly virtues to put on, and he does. He doesn't jump right into that. He frames it all up with who Jesus is, that when he died, you died. When he rose, you rose, so that your life is now hidden with Christ in God, and you have a new identity as adopted. Therefore, put off, put on. Titus chapter two, when he says, say no to ungodliness in this present age, and live soberly, righteously, he frames it up with the future of Jesus coming and what he, 
looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us. What he's done and what's to come always inform and infuse God's call for what we're supposed to do now. If you lose sight of Jesus or you don't know him, if you stop being overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus and what he's done for you, you'll find it very hard to do any of the biblical commands, not just money. It's Jesus, Jesus. Even in our passage we've dug into these weeks, Paul gives us a glimpse of it. Remember, in verses 13 to 16, he gives us a glimpse of the glories of Jesus and his soon return. And that was not some random tangent that he just went off on. It's essential to his argument about how to handle money. Gotta be aware of the next life. Gotta be aware of what's to come. Not right here, right now. And that's the reason why his go-to passage where he really gets after it on sacrificial giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which I saved for another year. That is, oh, it's just, it's framed up entirely with Jesus. In chapter eight, those are two chapters all about sacrificial giving. In chapter eight, he starts talking about the grace of Jesus. And then he ends it all in chapter nine, verse 15 saying, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Grace of Jesus, gift of Jesus, bookend sacrificial giving. If you want a good little book, there's a good place in the Bible if you want to read more. Good little book, Randy Alcorn's book, Treasure Principle. It's short, fantastic. We've got it in the Resource Center. He says this, gaze upon Christ long enough and you'll become more of a giver. Give long enough, and you'll become more like Christ. Our giving is a reflexive response to the grace of God in our lives. It doesn't come out of altruism or philanthropy. It comes out of the transforming work of Christ in us. This grace is the action. Our giving is the reaction. We give because he first gave to us. The greatest passage on giving in all the Bible, 2 Corinthians 9, does not end. Thank you for your generosity. It ends, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And then I love the illustration he closes with. As thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. When God's grace touches you, you can't help but respond with generous giving. So never mind what your giving indicates about how much you care about or don't care about other people. That's really not the biggest question. Here's the question I want you to wrestle with as we conclude. What does your giving and your level of generosity say about how well you know the grace of Jesus. Amazing grace should lead to amazing giving. When you know the riches of Christ, when you know your biggest, when you don't know you don't have to cling to this, when you know you're headed somewhere else, when it's framed up in something bigger, as thunder follows lightning. Giving follows grace.
Oh God, thank you for your word that teaches us about everything. You said in 2 Peter 3 that you've given us everything pertaining to life and godliness in your word, and money's one of them. Oh God, may we not be snared, consumed and destroyed in the money trap. And oh, may the Grace Fellowship family be impacting our community and world and be peculiar and the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ because of the way we live loose to the things of this world, letting go of earthly treasure because we're laying hold of something better. We got the bigger view. Oh, stir us about storing up a good foundation for the time to come. And as we know Jesus and love Jesus and gaze upon Jesus and sit at his feet and listen to him and follow him, may it cause us to become like him, a sacrificial giver that would lay down his life for us, that would not cling to the riches of his rights. Oh God, make us like Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.